Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We thank you, Lord, for the morning and the opportunity to serve you. Again, thank you for getting us here safely this morning. Pray that you would keep us safe uh, while we study and then get us home safely as well, Father. Uh, it's by your hand that we, we have anything, and so we're grateful, God, and that we can open your word now. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds. We pray, God, that you would mold and shape us through the power of your word. We're grateful, God, that we can be here today. Uh, may you be honored and glorified. I do pray that you would write, help me to rightly divide your word, God, and that uh, through this time we would leave this place loving you more. That's the intent and the purpose. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we finished chapter 9 last week. Thus, we're in chapter 10 this week, strange enough. But uh, what we saw was a really cool story of Jesus kind of leaving the Temple Mount, seeing a blind man along the side of the road, a blind man from birth, chapter 9 tells us, and stops and pauses and, and heals the man. Restore, doesn't restore his sight, gives him sight. He didn't have sight before, so he didn't restore it. He gave him sight. And uh, just awesome to see. And so, um, but because of that, this man stood on his testimony. He's like, all I know is what I know. And then that was, I woke up this morning, I couldn't see, and now I can see. And so that's my testimony. I'm sticking to it. And he gets questioned inside out and backwards, upside down and, and sideways. And, and, and what eventually happens toward the end of the chapter is, the, the religious leaders of the day couldn't handle it. They, they didn't know what to do with him. And so because he was standing on the testimony, he, they kicked him out of the synagogue. And what we saw at the end of the chapter was really cool. Jesus welcomed him in. And so now as we head into chapter 10, Jesus begins this dialogue with those that were following him, and he's going to speak about the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. And that's primarily what chapter 10 is about, and um, is this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. And so we understand that's not an analogy that was lost on them, those that he was sharing with. They fully understood what the, the sheep lingo. <laughs> they, they, there were a lot of sheep in those days. There were a lot of shepherds in those days. It wasn't, they didn't have banks um, where you would store all your cash, where you'd get your paycheck on Friday and you'd go take it to the bank. They didn't have the direct deposit thing going on. Wealth wasn't measured by the amount of cash that you carried. It was measured by the number of sheep that you had. And we can see that in uh, in the days of Abraham. And when Abraham separated from Lot, and they each had an abundance of sheep, they had to separate because there was too you know there were too many. They actually had to separate. Uh, we see it in the days of Solomon when Solomon, one of the richest men that has ever lived, he he builds the temple, and in the process of dedicating the temple, he slaughters a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. In other words, he's saying he shelled out a bunch of cash. He, he shelled, you know, to, 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 for the dedication of the temple. And so one of the ways you would measure wealth, or the primary way you would measure wealth, is by the number of sheep you had. So they understood in those days kind of the reference between the relationship of a shepherd and his sheep. So my question for you today is, has anybody had a sheep? Any of you ever had a sheep? One person. Okay, and the first, we actually have two, a couple. We've had, we had, more in the in the first service as well. I'm surprised by that. But so that the analogy isn't lost on us, I just wanted before we get into the text to kind of give a little bit of information about what a shepherd, who a shepherd was, and, and how he reacted or interacted with his sheep. A little bit of painting the picture, a little bit of backstory before we get in. So as I said, in those days there were shepherds. I mean, they were commonplace. It was a common job in those days to be someone who cared for, tended to the sheep. We see a special relationship with the shepherds as Jesus was born. Um, the angel of the Lord goes to the shepherds. And so even, even the host of heaven sees a special 
uh, relationship with these with these shepherds. They were people that were selected to tend to the the sheep, and so what they would do is they they had a special uniform, if you would. They looked a certain way. They would wear a, a full length tunic. Gar- uh, they would gird themselves with a leather belt. On the leather belt were different tools and instruments that they would use. We'll talk about those in a minute. But it was easy to spot who a shepherd was. They they stood out among the crowd, and so. Like I said, this analogy is not lost on them. In those days, the way one of the ways that they would care for the sheep is they would have what was called a sheep fold, a sheep fold. And what that is is actually they had two different types of sheep fold, but it was a place for the sheep to go at night that was protected so that the shepherd could rest. The shepherd could tend to other things. Now, if if you were in town caring for the sheep, what you would do is you would take it to what was known as a common sheepfold. And what that was was a large area where it was there were brick walls or, or rock walls around it, probably six or seven feet tall. And you would take your sheep to that in the evening. And not only you, but all of the shepherds that were around the town would would gather together into a common flock at night, and they would all go into the sheepfold. They would close the door. It was surrounded on three sides by these walls and, and part of the fourth, and then there would be a door. And there would be a doorkeeper, and that doorkeeper would keep all the sheep in, and then the shepherds could go and tend to their other things. And so there would be this large large flock of, of several flocks of sheep at night. And then in the morning, the shepherd would come back, the doorkeeper would open the door, and, and, and the shepherd would call out his sheep. Well, how, how did the sheep know the shepherd that they were supposed to go with? They had become accustomed to a distinct call or a distinct voice. They had, they knew the voice of their shepherd. They knew the call of their shepherd. I said, I, I, I've never experienced that except for one area. For about a year and a half, I lived on um, a friend's farm. I didn't work on the farm. I just lived in the house with him. But his dad had cattle, um, not a lot, four or five actually, but he would have a specific call to bring the cows in. And it never made sense to me. It was a word that he made up, as far as I know he made it up. It was the word cabis. And he would go out into the field, out of the barn, and, and just call out, hey, cabis, 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 cabis. And all of a sudden, the cows would come running. And I'm just like what's a cabis and why are they coming? And he's just like, that's my call. That's, And so the, the shepherd would have a distinct call, cabis, if you would, and the sheep would, there in the common fold, his sheep would say, hey, that's my shepherd, and I'm to go out. The way that they shepherded in those days is different than the way people shepherd today. In those days, or rather, let's start with what they do today. In today's shepherding, sounds like a new magazine. In today's shepherding, the, the shepherd goes behind the flock and drives them a specific direction. You drive the flock in the direction you want to go. In those days, and actually still in Israel today, they don't drive the flock, they lead the flock. And he would go leading the way, the shepherd would go out leading the way, calling as he went, and the, and the, the sheep knew to follow their shepherd, and that's the way they would. On the, on the, on the belt, the leather belt that they had, they would have several different tools, probably some that you, you could figure out already. They would carry a little sack with either some kind of dried fruit or something in it, or more than likely stones. And then also a sling, right? Thinking David and Goliath now, okay? David was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd, and he would carry his stones and a sling to ward off predators, to defend the flock. He would have, that was be his tools to defend the flock. They would carry a rod, a, 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 a piece about that long that the, they would use at times if the predators had gotten too close, they would actually use it to defend the flock going out with this rod to, to ward off predators. But its primary use was that of discipline the rod of discipline. And what they would do is if they had a wayward sheep, and particularly lambs, because lambs just tend to be everywhere, they haven't learned the discipline of staying with the flock yet, they would use that rod. It's going to sound cruel, but it, it makes sense here in a moment. They would use that rod and break the legs of the lamb. And then as the lamb's legs were broken, 
obviously the lamb couldn't walk at that point, they would carry the lamb. They would put it up on its shoulders. And all the while the lamb healed, all the while the lamb's legs healed, he would be carried by the shepherd. And what that was doing in that moment, is it was creating a relationship with the lamb, bonding with the shepherd, and, 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 the, and the lamb would learn the voice of the shepherd being that close. And then when the lamb was healed, when the legs were healed, you'd set him back down or her back down, and then they would stay with the flock. They would learn the discipline of staying close to the shepherd in, the, in that time, and so they would have the rod of discipline. They had the, the staff, the shepherd's crook, if you would, the... Um, is that what it's called? The crook, right? I'm saying, I, I can't remember. The, the, you know what I'm talking about. The seven foot staff with the hook on the end, right? And, and they would use that as a, a means to keep wayward sheep in as well. As a, as a, a sheep got off and got off into another direction, they would go over and they would hook the sheep and, and pull them back in. And so these were just the tools of the shepherd. His primary responsibility was to make sure that the lambs were, or the, the, the sheep were cared for, loved, but also protected. It was his responsibility to protect the flock from thieves and predators and from wolves and what have you. They would carry, strange enough, a horn of oil. And that oil would be used at times to anoint the head of the sheep to keep bugs off. And so just different things that the sheep, uh, the shepherd had. Distinct call. They led. They didn't drive. They had the rod of discipline. So that kind of gives us a picture. I've never cared for a sheep. Most of you haven't either. So that's that's kind of what the shepherd thing is going on. You with me now? So now, as Jesus speaks on this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, it'll make hopefully a little more sense to us as well. So verse 1, John chapter 10. Most assuredly, King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So that's the way he starts this conversation, that looking at the idea of the sheepfold, the the common sheepfold in that day, where the stone walls would be, if you didn't go through the door, what you were doing was hopping over the wall, and the reason you'd hop over the wall was to be a thief, to be a robber. Generally, they would work in teams of two in those days, those thieves and robbers, and there were plenty of them. They would, one of the guys would stay on the outside of the wall. They, they would help assist the other guy to go over the wall. And the, the guy that went over the wall would then be amongst all these sheep, and he would swiftly slice the throat of six or seven or however many sheep they wanted to take at that point. The sheep would die. They would take the the carcass of the sheep and throw it back over the wall to the person waiting. Then he would climb over, and then they would drag the sheep off to sell or to have meat or whatever they would do. That's the way they worked. What Jesus is saying is if you don't go through the door, the intent and the purpose must be thievery. There was one way in. There was one way out. If you hop in the the wall, it's it's for the wrong purposes. But he says in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, the right way in. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so this now he's speaking of the the picture of the common sheepfold, the one there in town, where there would be multiple flocks all gathering together. And in the morning, the, the shepherd would go, the doorkeeper would recognize the shepherd, he would open the door, the sheep, and then he would make the call. Hey, cabus, 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 or whatever the call was. And his sheep would look up. Oh, it's time to go. And he would lead them out. That's what it says. They knew his voice. I like that the, the shepherd knows the sheep by name. His, he's pulling his flock out. He's looking around 67, 68, 69. Hey, where's, where's, where's Marty? Where's, he's always lagging behind. Where's Marty? Oh, there he is. Come on, Marty. You know, and, and he would know his sheep by name. And when he brings out his own sheep, verse 4, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So there's the picture. He leads the flock. He doesn't drive the flock. He goes out before them, and they follow. The sheep follow, for they know his voice. 
He has spent time speaking to them, speaking over them, giving them direction. And these sheep have learned his voice, and so they know to follow. Verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee for him from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And that's where we get the idea that these shepherds would have a distinct call. They had a specific call for their flock, and they knew the, the, the sheep knew the call. Now, I don't want to say that sheep are dumb. Let's say they're simple. <laughs> sheep are simple creatures. Very simple. Not a whole lot to their brain. Okay? But they know enough to know their shepherd. They know enough to know the voice of their shepherd. They know enough to know the call of their shepherd. And they can tell the difference between their shepherd and that of another. And so were I to go in and try to take the flock of somebody else and, and say, and make my call, their sheep would say, I don't know who that is. They don't listen to the voice of a stranger. They just simply listen to the voice of their shepherd and his distinct call. It says in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which He spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All right. So he, he explains all of this, and, and obviously Jesus is not just merely speaking on shepherds and sheep. He has uh, an analogy here that He is using in the relationship between Jesus and his sheep, the followers, his followers, and that's the point he's trying to drive at. Yet the people are not quite getting it. They're like, um, well, they're simple. <laughs> I don't want to call them dumb, but the people are, are simple. And so they're not quite understanding this. The he used the illustration, but they didn't understand the thing. They didn't get the point that he was trying to make. And then I love what it says in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't just storm off and say, you guys are never going to get it. And just forget it. I'm out of here. Good luck. Okay, he says. You didn't get it that time. Let me explain it to you again. How many times has he done that in my life? How many times has He done that in our lives? He is forever long-suffering. He is forever patient. He is forever kind. And He doesn't get upset when we are too simple to see what He is driving at. He is patient and He is kind and He takes His time with us and He says, let me explain it to you again. Let me show you this again. We th I, I, I thought that maybe you had, had gone past this point, but obviously you haven't, so let me explain it to you again. Let me show you one more time. Let me teach you again. I've seen that in my life. I know you've seen it in your life as well. He is forever kind and patient. And I like that. Jesus says, okay, you didn't get it the first time. Let me explain it again. And he starts off by saying, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. What's he talking about there? How, what do you mean you're the door of the sheep? Well, it's interesting. We've been talking about the common sheepfold, the one there in town. But the one out in the pasture, the sheepfold they would use when they went out to pasture, was a little bit different. It wouldn't have been, the walls wouldn't have been made of, of stone in, the, in that area because this was now a specific sheepfold for your sheep. It was a little more primitive than a stone wall. They would actually set up bushes or, or brambles on, on three sides and then a part of the fourth side. And then there would be a little opening that they could go in and out of. They would go into at night and they would come out in the morning to protect the flock. The brambles would be around them. But what was interesting was that sheepfold didn't have a door on it. The shepherd, after all the sheep were in, would lay down in the doorway. And he would be the door. He would be the, the one that would protect the flock to keep them in. He would be the one that would protect the flock to keep the predators out. He would stand between the sheep and the, and, and the, and the issue and the, and the predators. And so when Jesus says, I am the door, He's speaking of that, that pasture sheepfold where the shepherd would literally be the door. 
standing in between. I like what it says. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Uh, let's, sorry, let's back up. Verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And there were many antichrists that had tried to come on the scene before Christ came. And then verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's saying, I am, I am the shepherd that stands in the way and that stands and protects the sheep, that keeps us from predators. I am the door. What I want us to note in that is he doesn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. Into the sheepfold, there's only one way. There's only one way that the sheep could enter in or go out. And he is standing there in that doorway. There were not multiple ways. So is true of heaven. So is true of heaven. There is one way. Jesus, in just a few chapters, is going to explain what that one way is. It's him. He says in John chapter 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not somebody that we just add to the multitude of religions around the world and say it's another way. That's what the world would want to say about Christianity. Well, you have your way. I have my way. They have their way. It's all religion. No. Jesus is exclusive. There is His way, and then there is the wrong way. And that's the only two options. He doesn't say, I am a door. There was only one way into the sheepfold. He says, I am the door. And it is through Him that we are, uh, that we are saved. And then John chapter 10, verse 10. You walked with Christ. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this before. It's a very popular verse. It is a very good verse. I love this verse. It should be underlined in your Bible. It should be more than underlined in your Bible. It should be written in your heart. This is one we should memorize. This is one we should understand. John 10.10 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I love that. Jesus makes an exclusive statement in the verse before. He says, I am the door. This is the only option there is. And then he goes on to say, let me show it to you in this way. Everybody else, the thief, the one that comes in not by the door, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then he juxtaposes that with himself, but I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Let's talk a minute about the thief, the, the adversary, the one who would come to steal and to kill and destroy. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. We have a foe. We have what's called the accuser of the brethren. His name is Satan. And a lot of churches today don't bother talking about him anymore. But the truth of the matter is, is that we have one who stands before the Father that would want to accuse us. And his intent and his purpose for your life is the, are these things. To steal, to kill, and to destroy you. To render us ineffective to to rob from us the joy that we have to to kill us pull us away from Jesus Christ Satan will try to promise you the world but as we talk about his native tongue is lying his it, the, the language that he speaks is lying 
Think of the interaction between Satan and Jesus when Jesus was being tempted. And he took him up to the Temple Mount and he said, he showed him all the splendor of the world. And he said, all this I can give to you. He promised Jesus the world, but he can't deliver on that promise because it's not his to give. And he will promise us the world, but his promises always fail us and always fall short. His intent and his purpose isn't to give you the world. His intent and His purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Look at, if you look at a thief, if you look at the thief, what, what's, what's His intent? What's, what's the intent of a thief? It's self-serving, isn't it? I mean, if you hop, to, if you hop the wall to, to steal a few sheep, what's the intent and purpose? Well, I, I want to eat, or I want to sell them so I can have some money. The intent and the purpose of a thief is self-serving. The intent and the purpose of Jesus is life-giving. He's not, Jesus is not self-serving. He's, he's other-centered. He's, his, his purpose and His intent is love-driven. He's not self-serving, and that's why He can be the door, the one way. And then He goes on to say in verse 10, I've come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I love that verse. I love that verse. Because what is it speaking of? I've come that they might have life. Well, you go back to the Gospel in John chapter 3, and as Jesus explained in the one verse, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And He has come that we might have life, and the life that He is speaking of there is everlasting life. I don't know about you, but I'm pumped for that. I look forward to everlasting life. We sing in the song Amazing Grace when we've been there 10,000 years. I can't even fathom 10,000 years, let alone eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Love that. We've been there 10,000 years, and what the, what the uh, Newton was saying is, it's like we haven't even started yet. Eternity is um, eternal. It's forever. It's, it's something that we should be excited about. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here. I've come that they might have life. And the life He's speaking of is eternal. But it's even more than that. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There's a distinction there. Life and life more abundantly. Jesus has come, and as He talked about in chapters 8 and 9, to set the captive free. The chains have been removed. And it's not just that when we pass from this life to the next, that's when eternal life begins. Eternal life begins the moment we give our hearts to Christ. And the life and the abundant life that He speaks of now is or here is is not only in eternity when we go from this life to the next, but is now. Is now. Part of the shepherd's role is to protect the sheep from predators. And if you've been around me long enough, if you listen to me preach long enough, you know that I consider those that preach the prosperity gospel to be wolves that need to be shot. Now, I'm not saying go out and take your gun and go shoot up some preachers. Don't hear that, please. (laughs) My pastor told me to. But what they teach is so vile and so heretical that it drives me crazy. And one of the things that they do is they steal this, they hijack these words and use it for what they proclaim to be the gospel truth. Just join us. Just be a part of us and you can have the abundant life. Just sow your seed and it will re- you will reap a hundredfold and you can have the abundant life. Abundant life isn't whether you have $1 or $100. The abundant life is whether you have Jesus or not. And it drives me crazy that we can't talk about this verse, John 10.10, without my mind going to what some 
heretical preacher would say and, and twisting of Scripture. That's not, that wasn't Jesus' intent. That's thieves coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what He does promise us is the abundant life. If we seek Him first, Matthew would tell us, He'll take care of everything else. All these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 He will take care of our needs according to His riches and glory. But it's not like a, a this for that. If I sow this, then God has to do that. It's not like that. But what we find is that when we place our faith in Jesus, we find He's all we need. He's all we need. And in Him, when the, when the shackles are gone, when the chains have fallen off, there is a joy that can't be determined by our situations. There is the abundant life found in Him, both in the eternal, but also in the here and the now. We find a peace that surpasses understanding, His Word would tell us. We find comfort when we need comforter, for He is the great comforter. He is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. He, he does provide. He gives all that we need. The intent of Jesus is life-giving and not just eternal life or what you and I would consider life after this life, but life even now. And then he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And of course, he's referring now to the cross that he is getting ready to, to walk toward. He's, we're right now we're about six months out from the crucifixion. And he knows the intent and the purpose that he came. He, he was to live a, a perfect life, a sinless life, that his sacrifice that he was going to make would be sufficient before a, a perfect God. He knows that the intent and the purpose of his life was to die. He's headed toward that cross. And so now, even as he explains, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that stands in the doorway. I'm the one that protects the sheep. I'm the one that protects the flock. I'll keep the predators out. And I'm going to go to the extent of a good shepherd, even if it costs me my life. And that's what a shepherd would do. Had a, had a wolf come up into the bramble or try to get in to, to eat the sheep, had a thief come in, in in order to try to steal a sheep, a, a good shepherd would lay down his life for the sake of his sheep. If it cost him all that he had, including his life, that's what a good shepherd would do. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. As I was studying, as I was preparing all this week, each time I read through this, my mind kept going back to a very familiar passage, one that I love, one that we all love. My daughter memorized this in, in kindergarten. It was one of those things that, that all of her class did at, the, at that time. It's Psalm 23. It's one that we're probably very familiar with, but I wanted to look at it again in light of this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Flip over there. John, or sorry, Psalm 23. And we'll read it to close. Jesus says He is the good shepherd. In, in the past few chapters, He's made the claim that He is God. He, we've had these ego ami statements, the I am statements, where He takes the name of God upon Himself, proclaiming to be God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord. We see that the blind man laid his life before, before Jesus and he proclaimed him to be Lord. What does it mean when you proclaim somebody to be Lord? It means that that person, as you call them Lord, that person then has control of your life. That's what it means to surrender your heart to somebody as Lord. It means you, that person that you are calling Lord has complete control. He makes the decisions. He rules the direction. He controls all things. It's My life is His to have. That's what it means to be Lord. So Jesus is the Lord that King David is speaking of in Psalm 23. 
Verse 1 says, the Psalm of David, the Lord, Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I love that. This is King David. And he's immediately saying, the Lord, the one I've got my life submitted to, is my shepherd. He's the one that cares for me. He's the one that keeps me in the flock. He's the one that, that, that pulls me in with the crook if need be. He's the one that, that provides for me. He, I shall not want. You see this amazing trust in, in King David's life to say, uh, my shepherd is going to take care of me. I, I shall not want. That's the abundant life that Jesus is speaking of. You shall not want as long as you place your hope and your trust in Him. Verse 2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. All we need, all we need, hear that again, all we need is found in following him he he leads us beside the he lead, he makes us lie down in green pastures he leads us beside the still waters that's a picture of exactly what a sheep would want the, the sheep wasn't cool hanging around in town that wasn't the good life for the sheep because the grass there would have been trampled, trampled down by the many different flocks it was just wasn't the best situation what the sheep would look forward to was heading out to pasture where it was green where it was lush they would feast on this grass and they would enjoy it they, that's what they looked forward to that's what our shepherd does he leads us he, he makes us lie down in the green pastures where it's good and he leads us beside still waters like I said, sheep are relatively simple. You 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 you, you know want to get a drink. A, a sheep would rather take a drink from a still water than a rushing water. You know, you, you, know, you might tr- stumble, you might trip, you end up going down the river or something like that. He leads me beside still water. That's the best option for a sheep. <laughs> you weren't going to find yourself in too much trouble were you drinking from still water. All we need is found in following Him. Verse 3, He restores my soul. Love that. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He, he restores my soul. Now certainly our Lord and our God does provide for us strength for the day. I love the scripture in, that's in Isaiah that says, um, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I have found that time and time again to be true. I'm in the middle of working 28 days straight. And, and right now I'm tired. But I can find that if I place my hope and my trust in Him, I find that I have strength for the next day. I go to bed exhausted every night. But I wake up the next morning, He's renewed my strength. He's restored my soul. And I'm ready to go again. But I think it's more than just renewing our strength. When it says that He restores our soul, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I go down to, I go to lay my life down for the sheep. In that sacrifice, He is truly restoring our soul. He's redeeming us in that process. He is providing for us what had been broken because of us. Our, our, we broke fellowship with God through Adam when we sinned. And in the sacrifice that He makes by being the Good Shepherd, we are restored to that relationship. It's the redemptive process. We have salvation because of the the sacrifice that Jesus makes. He restores our soul. And then it says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. love that. As we go from the day of salvation, the time when we give our hearts and our faith to Jesus Christ, to the moment of glorification, when we will be in His presence forever and ever, and we receive our new bodies and what have you, in between those two moments in time, we have this process. And that process is called sanctification. So we go from salvation, we walk through sanctification, we end up in glorification. And and in between those two points, we have the sanctifying process. That's when first He restores our soul, salvation, and then He walks us in sanctification. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
And that's the process of sanctification, where we go from being saved, walking this life, learning to follow after Him as He leads us, learning to hear the voice of our shepherd, and as He calls unto us, we follow Him in the paths of righteousness, walking in the correct ways. Righteousness would mean to walk in the correct way. And Jesus directs us in those things after He restores our soul for His name's sake. Yes, He gives us life. Yes, He gives us life eternal. Yes, He gives us abundant life. And that is all for our benefit. But it's all for His glory. It's all for His glory. The intent and the purpose of salvation and sanctification and glorification, it's for, we, we benefit from it, but it's for His glory. It's for His name's sake that Jesus saves. I love that. It says that He leads. He doesn't drive us. He brings us rest. He brings us protection for His name's sake. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. When you walk with Christ through the sanctification process, there are times when you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when it will appear as though this is the end, that there is no option, there is no way out. What we glean from this truth in Psalm 23 is that we don't walk it alone. He leads us, is what we just read. He leads us even into and through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, you are with me. He doesn't just walk us up to the valley of the shadow of death and go, there it is. I'll see you on the other side. Have fun. And hope that you make it out. No. Jesus demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on our behalf. He laid down His life. He walked through His own valley of the shadow of death before we walk through ours. And every time and each time we do, we can say, as the psalmist said, as David said, I fear no evil. Not because I'm brave. Not because I'm strong. Not because I have it in and of myself to ward off these predators. But because He is with me. The sheep trusted in the shepherd. They trusted in the way that He was leading. And we are to do that as well with our lives. And when we do, when we are completely surrendered to Him, as he, even as He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, we can say, okay, Lord, okay. I, 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 don't, have, I don't fear any evil because this is where You've led me. I trust You. And then He says, Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. Wow. Think about that. I told you what the rod and the staff were used for. They were for the discipline of the sheep. The rod was used to break the legs of lambs. Think about what it says in Hebrews. He chastises those whom He loves. And discipline is given to those whom He loves. And, and there are times in our lives when we have gone wayward and, and, the, and the shepherd finds it necessary maybe even to break our legs so that he can carry us. So that we can get used to hearing his voice. And it's not just for the sake of discipline and it's not for the sake of being mean. It's for the intent and the purpose of demonstrating his love. We, as, as you've had kids, you, you discipline your kids. You give them boundaries to demonstrate that you love them, right? You don't just let them run off and do whatever they want. That's not love. As we brought Kindu home uh, for the first few weeks, and even now to some degree, we've had to keep a very tight sheepfold on him, a very tight boundary around him, just to demonstrate, hey, we're your mom and dad, and we love you, and we're here to protect you, and we're here to provide for you, and your needs are going to be met through us. And so we've kept a very tight circle around him, not letting him venture out very much. But as he has demonstrated, I get it, 
I know that you're my mom and dad. I can see that you love me. Slowly, we enlarge that boundary and and let him venture out and try different things. Michelle wasn't feeling well yesterday. Her sister, uh, the the kid's aunt, came and and picked him up and, and took him to the mall, Polaris. KK had a birthday party to go to at the mall, and, and then the rest of them just kind of hung around. First time Kindu's ever been in a mall. That was the description I got, wide-eyed. As they walk by the Disney store, he gets Disney. You know, he, he's, he's in tune with Disney. Oh, I like that store, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but now that he's been home for almost two months, we can we can enlarge that boundary because he knows that He's safe with us. He knows the, the, the boundaries that he has. He knows that we love him. We've given him a, a structure. We've given him discipline to demonstrate that we love him. And the same is true as of our God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you've been disciplined, you know it's not a whole lot of fun. Like it says in Hebrews, those that have been disciplined, they don't enjoy it for the moment. I I never enjoyed being spanked as a child. I never enjoyed being grounded for the weekend. But they come to see that it is a, a way that the parent expresses love. And I can see that now. I know that my parents love me because they would discipline me. When I was wayward, they would draw me back in. That's that's how God demonstrates His love for us as well. And so when we understand that, then we can say, yeah, your rod, yeah, your staff, they do comfort me because it brings me back in. It brings me into a, a, a more intimate relationship with the shepherd. That was the intent and the purpose of the discipline. It wasn't just for the sake of discipline. It wasn't for the fact of the, the shepherd enjoyed beating the sheep. If the leg was broken, the shepherd had to carry the sheep. And and an intimacy was created. And that's why he disciplines us as well. The intent and the purpose of having intimacy with our shepherd. It says in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs runs over. My cup runs over. I almost slipped into the King James. My cup runneth over. Think about the Jesus and the blind man from last chapter. After this man was excommunicated, after this man was kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus meets him again and says, do you want to know who the Son of Man is? Yeah, show me who, is, who He is that I may worship Him. Jesus said, you've seen Him and you're talking to Him now. And the man says, Lord. And in that moment, Jesus takes that blind man who had been kicked out of his community and welcomes him into a new sheepfold. He does that with each of us as well. And in that moment, I can imagine the man's heart just swelling again. I have somebody that cares for me. I have somebody that loves me. I have somebody that has welcomed me in. And it echoes the voice of David. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I was down, the blind man could have said. I've been kicked out of the synagogue. Probably in that moment created a few enemies. Well, he probably was had enemies. He didn't look upon the religious leaders with love so much anymore. And Jesus welcomes him into his sheepfold. And he's like, oh, this is the better life anyway. This is where I was meant to be. You anoint my head with oil. The shepherd carried the horn of oil. What does oil represent as we read in the Scriptures? It's a representation of the Holy Spirit. And then it tells us in one of the Pauline epistles, which I can't remember at the moment, it says that God has sealed the foreheads of His saints with the Holy Spirit. He anoints our head with oil. He He has given us the promise of the inheritance. That's what it is. He's given us the promise of the inheritance, and that promise is the seal. It is the Holy Spirit. He anoints our heads with oil. My cup runs over. That's a picture of the abundant life. Verse 6, last verse, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. 
I love that. It's it's the picture of life now. David says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. As I'm following the shepherd, as he leads me in the paths of righteousness, I, I have mercy and goodness following me everywhere I go. I've got life now. Semicolon. And I will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Life now. Life eternal. That's what the good shepherd comes to bring. And he is a good shepherd. Amen? All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Oh God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that goodness and mercy do follow us all of our days and that we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For Jesus, you are the good shepherd, the one who has laid down your life for us. Pray that you would set our hearts free, that we would have a joy that is not determined by our circumstances. I pray that we would have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray even if we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that we would remember you're with us. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us hope. Fill us with Your Spirit that we may look more like You, that we might shine brightly for You, for Your name's sake. Your name, Your renown, are the desire of our souls. I love You, Lord. I'm so grateful for this congregation. I want to take a moment just to pray for the Ford family, Jim and Edie, who lost Kim Thursday. God, that Your hand would be upon them. God, that You would comfort them in this hour. Lord, if there's anything that we as a church can do to come around this family, Lord, that we would be willing to do that. But just, I pray Your peace in this moment. I pray right now that they would know that their faith family is praying for them. God, that You would give them hope. We know that Kim knew You, Lord, knows You, that she is in Your presence both now and forevermore. But it is hard. We've, we've walked through loss in this church. We know the pain of losing a loved one. So just be with them, O oh God. Father, I ask that all that have come today would make it home safely. God, that You would give us rest, that You would restore our souls, that we would walk with You until we can meet again. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.